The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everyone to One Hour at a Time with Mary Woods. Of course, this is John McAndrew, your guest host, and and I'm very lucky to be here today to to be able to talk with uh, David Sheff, and many, many people know his name already. He's the author of the New York Times best-selling uh, memoir, Beautiful Boy, about his son Nick and his long, long struggle with addiction. David has written another book, and this is his new book, and it's called Clean, Overcoming Addiction and Ending America's Greatest Tragedy. Um, his new book talks about drug abuse and treatment, uh, latest scientific evidence, uh, clinical practices. It talks about really, really a lot, but more importantly, his own expertise as a journalist and a father. And I, and I just want to read you something here, which, which I think describes David very, very well. This is a quote. David Sheff knows addiction as no parent would ever want. Through it all, he's tapped into a unique ability to convey the pain, wisdom, and love that he's experienced through many turbulent years with his son, Nick. As a journalist, father, and clear-eyed chronicler of addiction, David is without peer. And that's from Sanjay Gupta uh, from CNN. David, welcome to the show. Westbridge welcomes you and all our listeners. are very thankful you're here today. Yeah, John, well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. I... You know, I've listened to you and read you and watched you as many uh, people my age. Uh, I'm between 50 and 100. <laughs> I've watched and, and read I'm there your, right with you. Yeah, and read your work. And we've kind of grown up with you over many, many years. You know, and you've been a journalist and you've written for the New York Times and Rolling Stone, Playboy. Uh, you've been on NPR and you've interviewed... All these people, you know, people that all of us would have loved to talk to, and we've been able to learn about them through you. I, you know, my first question for you is, being so good and, and having all the years where you sort of held up the mirror for other people to tell their story, did you ever plan on you, uh, you know, this direction taking you where you're at now, talking about Nick and yourself and your own experiences? Um, well, 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 John. No, I, I, I never did. Um, no, as you say, I was, I was a journalist. I was going forward, doing profiles and writing about God, whatever it was, architecture, politics, uh, mm-hmm. um, art, and uh, music a lot. Um, and then, you know, we, we were like so many other families out there um, who either didn't think much about drugs as an issue in our family, and certainly never thought about addiction hitting our family and. Mm-hmm. When my son, um, Nick, my oldest son, was a teenager, um, he started using drugs and his use escalated to the point that he was, 
you know, shooting heroin and methamphetamine, and he almost died a few times. And so our everything changed in our family. Of course, we were basically spent you know years trying to figure out what was going on with him and to, and to, and to help him. And because of that experience, um, I was I, I, everything went in a new direction in my life. And suddenly, I learned about something that I'd never learned about before. I realized uh-huh. that most people were like me, didn't understand this could happen to you, to your family. And so that became my life's work, um, to try to understand as much as I could about addiction and to try to figure out how we can prevent our kids from using and then how we can help those who do become addicted. Mm -hmm. When you wrote an article about Nick... um, for the New York Times, which which I, I believe led to the book Beautiful Boy, and can you tell us a little about that transition and how that article turned in to the book? Um, well, yeah. When when I guess what happened was uh, Nick had struggled for many years, and there was then a time that he was doing well. Uh, he'd been sober for for about a year and a half, and. Because both I'm a journalist and also I was a father who experienced this that um, you know we were blindsided, I felt it was important to let other people know. Um, mm-hmm. So my first intention was to try to you know to educate people. Um, again, this is a disease that can happen to anyone. I was writing specifically about methamphetamine, which was the drug that really brought Nick down, and it was a drug that you know now we know a lot about it, but at the time it had not uh, hit you know, most places in the country. So I thought there was an important story to tell. And, and and that story came out and my intention was to write this article and then go back to, you know, to other work. But when it appeared, um, you know, every, that's letters, phone calls, um, emails, one after the other, after the other. Um, and I heard over and over again, people say, you know, I felt, how did you get into our home? You know, how you told our family's story. I mean, some of the details yep. were different. But, you know, we've been silent about this. We've been hiding it. And um, there was just such, there seemed to be such a relief in the fact that, you know, somebody was talking about this and it gave other per- people permission to talk about it. So because of that reaction, because of the people I met at the time, um, I decided to go forward and to do more. You know, and I told, you know, our family story uh, about all the efforts to figure out, first of all, what was going on, to try to understand this disease, and to try to understand how we can help somebody, you know, who's struggling with this disease. Um, and so and so the book really chronicles, you know, Beautiful Boy, I, I wrote, you know, after the New York Times article, and it chronicles our family's story, the 10 years, actually, that, that you know, that we spent in the trenches with this. Um, and also, I started to write about some of the research that I had, um, uh, some of what I learned mm-hmm. about um, about addiction, the disease itself, and again, what we can do to prevent it and what we can do to treat it. Right. While you were going through this, so people know, I, I um, I'm very touched about, you know, you being a father and being Nick's dad, and and in beautiful boy. In the stay up late chapter. This is the stuff that really touches me, and, I, and people need to know just the power of your love for your son. And you, you recount in the book where Nick was about to lose his arm, you know, to this disease um, from intravenous 
a lot of activity and right. the incredible things you went through. But, you know, going back a little farther, you talk about moments with Nick as a child and you sing this little song to him because he's had a nightmare and you sing, close your eyes, have no fears, the monster's gone, he's on the run and your daddy's here. And when I read this and understood where you came from, I now understand your passion and the pain of what you went through for parents not to be able to do anything about this is a, is a really, really hard thing to do. And I think, you know, on behalf of many families, we're grateful that you've been able to share this story. But the passion, you know, David, your emotions and your passions and then trying to write about it, is, was that difficult? Oh, it was so difficult. I, um, mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it actually, it was, it was painful, first of all. Um, okay. When I went back, of course, and writing and rewriting and trying to, you know, make, um, tell the story as, as honestly as I could, I mean, it was very painful to relive what was going on. But in, in a way, you know, writing also helped me get through um, the experience because, you know, I would be, you know, we are, parents are, our ultimate purpose in life really is to protect our kids. And when we find that we can't, um, we are, you know, I was, I wasn't sleeping. I was, I wasn't able to work. I wasn't able to do a very good job trying to, you know, take care of the, my other children. I mean, I tried my best. My wife did. Um, so it was, you know, it was so, um, it was so painful. It was so, so I would be up and, um, writing has always been, you know, something that has helped me survive. And I, I would help, it would help me get out, you know, sort of the, the confusion that I was feeling, help me organize my thoughts. Um, so it was a combination of, 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 I mean, it was incredibly painful because also, of course, I was writing a lot of the book while it was happening. Yeah. Every time I thought there would be sort of a, a, a conclusion that was hopeful, um, you know, something, Nick would relapse again after that year and a half. Um, he did relapse, and once again, you know, every time he would relapse for a long time, it got worse. Mm-hmm. He was closer um, to death, and uh, as you say, uh, you know, he almost lost his arm because of injecting uh, drugs and became infected. And um, so, I would, you know, come back to the writing all the time as a way to, you know, as it was pushing forward, and so. You know, there was no separating, in a way, the book itself, the writing of the book from the experience. And, um, in fact, when I, you know, it brings it all back even now uh, in a way that is so deep and so visceral um, that, um, you know, it's it's hard. And and people who've, maybe only people who've been there or who are going through it now can understand what it's like uh, to have your parent, uh, to have your child, to be a parent of a child who's, you know, spinning out of control on drugs. Mm-hmm. And you're learning as you go, um, and, and I'll make that as a pretty knowledgeable assumption from reading the both, you know, both of the books. So you're learning about addiction. You're also learning about mental illness. You're learning about powerlessness. You're trying to find anything and everything you can to help your son, Nick. And I think what's powerful about these two books, David, is you've got the beautiful boy and then while you're going through this you're chronicling all these different little roads and paths and things that happen to all parents and all families trying to get help and so you're going through this 
very visceral, visceral experience, and then you're collecting the information as you go. And your observations about powerlessness and addiction, um, what were the first ones? When did you know that Nick was powerless and that there wasn't anything he could do about it and that he had a disease? It took a long time for me to understand that because one of the problems that we have as parents, as, as brothers and sisters, anyone who has an addict in their family, and one of the problems we have as a culture is that you know, we know what diseases look like. We know what illness looks like. It looks like, you know, as, as, as tragic as it is, we have a, um, you know, cancer is a disease. We don't have any problems with that heart disease, you know, diabetes. Um, but this looks like, you know, when people are using drugs, you know, it looks like a choice. They are choosing to get high. And not only that, um, in order to get drugs, they are doing unconscionable things. I mean, right. Nick, broke into our home, you know, he stole from me, he stole even from his little brother, who he loved. So what was going on? It was this baffling thing. And I heard over and over again, in rehabs and in lectures and people talking about the disease of addiction. And at first, I thought it was sort of an excuse. People were trying to excuse addicts, you know, completely reprehensible, selfish behavior. Um, But then I started to spend time with researchers uh, at the National Institute of Drug Abuse and at some of the research centers, UCLA Medical Center. Um, And I learned from the researchers, they showed me pictures of addicts' brains. They showed me, you know, because there's, there's, by the time, it did not take me that long once I started to get that information to understand that there was an explanation for Nick's behavior. And it was that he had a disease and specifically, he had a brain disease, a disease that was changing the way that he functioned in the world, and it was not about choice at all. Um, he described the need for drugs um, mm-hmm. at a certain point as the need that we all have for oxygen. Um, when we're deprived of oxygen, you know, we will do whatever it takes. We will kick and scream and scratch right. um, to get more, and that's what it's like for an addict who's being deprived of drugs, and that's where the behavior comes from. So it's so important. It was so important for me to understand. And I think so important for us to educate others to understand, because when we understand that addicts are ill, we can stop judging them, shaming them. They feel bad enough already. Uh, and we can look at them with compassion and we can do what we would do if our a person we loved had any disease, which is to do whatever we could to get them well. Absolutely. We're talking with David Chef. Um, the author and journalist, and, and he's a dad. And uh, when we come back, we're going to continue this little journey from from beautiful boy to, you know, clean his new book. And uh, please stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co-Occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. Make the most of your beautiful life. Listen to Ageless Living with Dr. Tong Lee and co-host Kurt Wilhelm to gain tips on how to live healthier and happier, alleviate suffering, prevent disease, become more beautiful in body, mind, and fashion, and find peace, balance, and success in your life. Are you aware that every 3,500 calories that you eat above what you burn will put a pound of fat on your body? And running one mile only burns 200 calories? So portion size does matter, and migraines do have a cure. What is it? You'll have to tune in Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. There are many who have faced life-changing adversity and have demonstrated the resiliency of the human spirit in spite of that. You'll hear these moving stories and learn about the impact of life's challenges when you tune into Inspired Journeys, Overcoming Adversity and Thriving with your host, Lisa Ference. You'll find meaning in some of the most difficult traumatic experiences. And by doing so, you can pay it forward and help others through their healing processes. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. We've been talking with David Sheff, and uh, of course he's the author of Beautiful Boy, and his new book is called Clean, Overcoming Addiction and Ending America's Greatest Tragedy. And we've been talking about um, David's journey, you know, as a journalist, and then, you know, his son, Nicholas, of course, struggling with addiction, and David's realization that this is a a disease, and uh, it's a very powerful moment. Uh, for a parent, uh, and then, you know, okay, it's a disease, now what do I do? And so, David, you know, what what happened that morning, that light bulb went on, <laughs> and that, you know, you saw the evidence about the brain and things changing. Where did you go to get help then? Um, well, the first thing that happened, as I say, is I was able to look at Nick differently as uh, as instead of this, you know, anger, which I felt. Uh, uh-huh. yeah, it was like, how could you do this to us? How could you do this to your, li- your little brother and sister, you know, your mom, uh, your stepmom? Um, but then it became clear that, you know, that Nick had this problem. Um, and so everything changed. You know, I, was, uh, I went into gear uh, to try to figure out, you know, with what I would have done if Nick had been diagnosed with, um, with cancer. I would have... Right. Got taken him to the best doctors I could find. I would have gotten the most best advice. I would have gotten second opinions and gotten the best treatment. Um, this was harder, though, and the reason it was harder is because there is not a treatment system out there that um, that is easy to navigate. It's very, very, very complicated. Um, uh, there's it's partly because you know addiction has not been considered disease, so there is not the model that we have for um, for other diseases. Um, 
so I was just at the mercy initially. I was at the mercy of, you know, whatever I could find out, which was a lot of bad information. I mean, I would talk to parents of parents, of parents of uh-huh. you know, friends uh-huh. who've, who've gone through this. I called counselors. I called teachers. I called, you know, I went to a pediatrician. And people just don't know about this disease. And so I got, you know, all kinds of advice. I mean, people told me to kick Nick out. Um, sure. You know, he was my son. I wasn't going to, I wasn't. Here, did it, what did that mean? You know, send him out onto the streets. Is that going to help him? Um, people told me to send him to Outward Bound, you know, to boot camp. You know, that'll yeah. toughen them up and Kick straighten them out. Um, and it was only when I finally got in the care of some good um, doctors, you know, people who are addiction medicine specialists, that I started to get the right kind of advice. But even then, um, because there's just no, you know, where. Nick was, I finally got Nick into treatment, um, and he got into programs that, you know, in retrospect, I realized you know, were maybe places that were useful and that it got him off the streets and he wasn't using for a month or whatever it was, but he never really got the treatment that he needed. So um, it, it's, it's, it's hard, and that's actually why I went forward to write the next book was because um, really, you know, the treatment system is broken, and I wanted to figure out, you know, what can work. Does it exist? I mean, can you know? Is this a treatable disease? And 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 um, then, if so, you know, what do we do? How do we make these choices? Um, how do other parents who are in my situation decide what to do? Um, and the really hopeful piece of it was when I did enough research to understand not only you know how devastating this is and how big right. the problem is, how many people out there are using, how many kids are dying right now because of prescription drug overdoses. I mean, over and over, it's just. It's just tragic. It's the number one killer right now of, of young people. Um, uh, and I, but but the, then there was a hopeful piece too when I started to understand that this is a disease that is treatable, and people are treated every day. You know, we we talk a lot about the 20 million people out there who are addicted, and rarely talk about the fact that there are 23 million people out there in recovery. Um, so there's hope as well, and that was the. That's sort of where I came to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once I realized that this is a treatable disease, then I wanted to provide to people a guide. You know, what, is, what works? Um, how do we find it? Um, and, and still, it's not easy. You know, it's, it's the beginning of a transformation so that there will be a medical community out there that is devoted to treating people with addiction. But still, I hear every day, you know, People go into the emergency room. A parent brings their child into the emergency room because they're overdosing or because they yeah. are in an accident, because they're high, whatever it is. And they're pushed off to the side. You know, doctors say, oh, God, it's another junkie. Yeah. Um, they just don't get the treatment. They don't get the care. Um, they're shamed again. They're made to feel badly again, that it's their fault again. Uh, and, of course, what that does is it makes the problem worse. Yeah. In your book... Um it's pretty easy to follow in clean, um, you know, why we use America on drugs and why we use and, and, why, and, you know, when drugs, you know, that starts to escalate and you've got the experience with Nick and then getting clean. At what point did you find some hope uh, for Nick, for other people with a disease? When did you start to see sort of above the trees, you know, and see that there was, because you did say that, there was hope. There is treatment that works, you know. And uh, did that hope kind of help propel you a little bit through the second book? 
Oh, it did for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It made it, you know, it made it, um, it would have just been sort of a report about this tragedy with resignation. You know, here is something that has befallen us and will continue to take the lives of our children and other people that we love, you know, 350 people a day, as I say, whatever. Um, but because I found out that this is a treatable disease, um, there was great hope. And um, then it became a different kind of mission. It became a mission to try to get this into the hands of people who need it. Um, Nick finally got treated when he um, went into programs in which he was given cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, he was mm-hmm. CBT. Ca- taught, he was instructed in you know in the twelve steps in a way that was palatable to him because he'd been in many treatments that focused on the twelve steps that just turned him off. But finally, he connected in some ways with the twelve steps. Uh, and the thing that was critical for him, and it's critical for mo- mo- many, many, many other addicts, is when finally he was in the hands of a psychiatrist who recognized that his drug use was completely tied to mental illnesses that he had, uh, bipolar disorder and depression, that had never been diagnosed and properly treated. And so his drug use was really an attempt to self-medicate. To, to, you know, when he, Nick describes, other people describe, you know, getting high for the first time and feeling, you know, oh, it's great, this fantastic, you know, sort of druggy feeling. He described feeling normal. He said that when he finally got high, it made him feel that uh, it was sort of the absence of the anxiety that he felt for his entire life. So that was absolutely critical. And it was, you know, so many people, I think they say, you know, some people say 50%, some people say 60%. Or, um, people who become addicted also have another a co-occurring psychological disorder. Right. And we, can't, we have to treat both. If you treat... So you kind of, so this onion gets sort of unpeeled with you. And in one of your chapters, you talk about dual diagnosis. And you talk about a family. Brian is the the patient or the client. I think his dad's name is Gary. Yes. And you talk, and I I like how you use this other story because it's really similar to yours, you know. Um, but you tell us a little about a bit about Brian and Gary and the experience you have because you've, now we've peeled this thing with thought and mood disorders that are going on, you know, and what was your experience with Brian and Gary? And well, he, he had a very similar experience to mine. I mean, they're all a little bit different, but they all have these common themes, this core. Um, we have, I, it's just something I hear about so often. A child is this, you know, lovely, shining light, um, full of life, full of, full of promise, um, but as they go older, there's also a clear sense that they're, they are struggling with whatever yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we now know that these struggles increase the likelihood that someone will use drugs and become addicted. So in that case, um, there was a tension deficit disorder that was diagnosed. Um, uh, over time, there were other psychological problems. Um, there were social problems. There was an intense anxiety that was was. was you know, came out in many, many ways. It made it really hard for him to be in school. Mm-hmm. Um, to be, he wasn't sort of, he was kind of the kind of kid who was always picked last for sports teams, and um, and he struggled. Uh, and so what happens in a case like that, what happened with him is that, again, you start to get, you know, get high for the first time and second time, and you don't care so much. I mean, there's a distraction from the pain that you're feeling, and there's a sense of relief from that anxiety. 
um, and drug use escalates. And that's what happened. Um, and he grew up and his problem worsened. And his dad was just like me. Um, he did everything he could to try yeah. to figure out what was wrong with his son and how to help him. Um, he did more than me. He got his son into, you know, I think it was 10 programs before it was over. And he brought him to the best doctors. And he did yeah. everything that um, I tried to do and that so many other families try to do. And as much as our stories uh, intersect, intertwine, um, you know, his ends differently in, in, in the biggest tragedy yeah. of all. Uh, his son finally was clean. Um, yeah. And rather than going forward um, with treatment and, and um, you know, now my son has celebrated you know, his fifth year sober, but in this case, um, Ryan killed himself. Yep. And um, it happens too often. It is a tragedy that um, is, is, is you know, preventable, but it's not being prevented so often. And uh, the reason that stories like that are valuable is because we can be instructed by them. You know, we can understand that yeah. if we have a kid who is struggling in school, who has learning disabilities, who you know, has gone through a traumatic, something traumatic in his life, someone close to him dies or someone, you know, is, there's a divorce in the family that is really a difficult divorce, uh, kids are struggling in school, whatever it is, we understand that that is a risk factor for yep. drug problems and addiction. And so as much as we can help them mm -hmm. grow up healthily, deal with their psychological problems, get them the help that they need, um, there's still no guarantees. But the more we do that, the more likely we will be successful in preventing our kids from you know, becoming addicted. Yeah, thank you. David, you chronicle something very important. And of course, the folks here at Westbridge um, are very in tune to this, sort of what we specialize in, but the dual diagnosis and, uh, you know, the story of parents sending them to psychiatric facilities and then to a treatment center and back and forth. And they, in our next section, maybe we'll talk about how you've chronicled uh, evidence-based practices in using the things that are really helpful in, in treating, treating these people. And, and then we'll finally get to kids, because I know you're very passionate about this problem in our country and uh, prescription drugs. So we're really lucky to have David Sheff here today, and uh, please stay tuned. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence based practices, consensus practices, and old fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Why do people behave the way they do? The study of human behavior is one of the most interesting facets of life. Human behavior gets played out in a limitless number of ways. Now, there's a radio program that explains the why and the how of what we do. 
Human Behavior, What a Trip, is hosted by Dr. Jonathan Brower and will include interesting guests as well as call interaction from people like you. Let's have fun with this together. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. We've been speaking with David Sheff, and he, of course, is the author of some incredible books, Beautiful Boy, and now his new book uh, is called Clean, Overcoming Addiction and Ending America's Greatest Tragedy. And you can go to David's website, which is davidsheff.com. Is that right, David? It is. Yeah. And, uh, and there's also now a, a Facebook page in which a lot, on which a lot of people are having conversations about addiction and I try to tweet at um, on Twitter as well about stuff that comes up in the news and big, you know, important issues and ways people can get involved if they're interested in trying to you know help with this problem. And can folks contact you there with questions and concerns? And they do. People post them all the time. Um, right. Again, on, on you know, on Twitter is is very effective, or or on, on the Facebook page. Um, and you know, many times I hear from people in public forum, and that's really wonderful because what I find is you know I. I'm just a dad, I'm a journalist, I've done research about this, but you know, there's so many people out there who have experiences that um, inform others. And so you know, people come on and they tell about what they're going through and they tell that they're lost trying to find treatment or they've got a child who's just, you know, they're not even sure if the child's using drugs or if they're using drugs, you know, is it problematic? Uh-huh. Um, and people you know, talk to each other and tell their own stories. And boy, there's nothing more powerful than, you know, than, than our stories. Boy, that's for sure. I want to read, David, another quote, if that's okay. This is New York Times, so they're pretty good at this. (laughs) David Sheff is a skilled journalist on an urgent mission. He prevailed over the anger and hopelessness he felt at his son's affliction by calling upon great reserves of love and discipline to investigate what might help, first as a father and then, in this book, clean, as a reporter and an advocate. His forbearance and clear-headedness could serve as an example for America as it confronts its drug problem. He's performed a vital service by compiling sensible advice on a subject for which sensible advice is in short supply. And I, I don't think it could be said any better. And we're, we're at this point where I, I asked you in the last section if you saw some hope, you know, instead of, I know initially with Nick, you started to talk to people about treatment, and, and mostly you found frustration and failure. 
Um, and then you started to search, which is what a journalist does, I guess, fueled by being a dad uh, for answers, and you found some hope. And we just left off in that last section about you peeling this onion and, and onion and finding out you know, that treating dual diagnosis, mental illness and substance abuse issues together uh, is really key. And could, could we continue a little bit with that? You told us about Brian and his father, but how did this affect you and, and Nick? Well, you know, it, it, first of all, you know, we don't want our kids to be sick. Um, so it's sad and, and, when, and obviously it's very scary. But um, we also have a path forward when someone we love is sick. And so, as I said, you know, once that became clear that he had this illness, um, didn't mean it was easy at that point. It wasn't. But it gave me a path to follow. So I did my best to find the best doctors, the best professionals um, to get him treatment. I got him into programs that where, he, where the, the work that was done was based on evidence. It wasn't based on tradition. It wasn't based on, you know, people were very, very well-meaning, compassionate people, run rehab centers, um, and they try to help other people, and the method that they use is the method that used for them, that, that right. worked for them. Um, but, you know, we wouldn't go just treat someone with cancer with somebody whose only qualification is that they also had cancer. What you want is somebody who has, you know, the knowledge. And so that's what I ended up over time, and it took a long time, finding so Nick was in programs where he worked with psychologists and counselors and psychiatrists who understood the disease of addiction and, um, you know, and understood that he did have these other illnesses. He had depression and bipolar disorder. And, you know, the doctor who diagnosed him with those mental illnesses, he still sees five years later. And she treats him uh, with therapy and with uh, medication. So he's on medication for those issues. And he to tell you now that um, I think that's a huge piece of the reason that he's been able to stay sober. Um, and if he was only treating his addiction, uh, I don't think he would be sober. I think he would say that. And if he was only treating his mental illnesses, um, same, because he has this disease. Yeah. Um, and, so, and Nick is doing well. I know he's a writer. I think he didn't fall far from the tree with those talents. Is that right? And he does some writing and He's written a couple of books, hasn't he? He has. Uh, first of all, he wrote um, memoirs also, you know, about his own addiction. Um, one was called Tweak, and the other was called We All Fall Down. And the first one was just this horrible, horrible, tragic story about his descent into drug use. And uh, oh, when I read that, it was uh, I knew things were bad. I knew how bad things had gotten just horrific but I didn't understand the depths of, of his despair and the, the dangerous situations he was in. Um, and then he went forward when he was doing better and he wrote, we all fall down, which is, you know, the other piece of that, we all fall down is that we pick ourselves back up. And so Nick tells in a very hopeful way. Um, he doesn't say it's easy, which is a really important message, especially right. for young people who are struggling. You know, they read these books about, you know, I was on the streets and you know, I got sober and I'm, you know, my life is perfect. Um, that's often not the way it works. Um, and with Nick is very, very open and honest. And he talks about about how hard it is and how still he talks about it. Um, I don't think he struggles so much with um, you know, with cravings to use, but he struggles with depression and bipolar disorder. And he also struggles with life, like all of us. You know, you get disappointments. You have 
you know, stress. And, and so, you know, part of getting sober is wrestling with these problems, these biologically rooted problems. Some of it is dealing with the psychological problems, and some of it also is just learning how to navigate life. Um, so he's doing great. He's, he's wrote those two books, and now he's going into fiction. He has a new book that he's written uh, called Schizo that's going to be published, I think, next year. Uh, he's been writing on a TV show, The Killing. He's got this great job, and he's now, now that their season is over, uh, he's talking to some other TV, you know, people at TV shows. And he got married last year or two years ago. Now he just celebrated his second anniversary to someone we adore. So um, you know, he has the life that um, we would have wanted for him, and that he would have wanted for him. He would have wanted for himself, but one that, you know, there was a time, you know, when. I, I, didn't think he was going to make it to 21 or 22 or 25. Yeah. Um, and the fact that this summer he turned 31 uh, feels like a bit, you know, like a miracle. Yeah, I can hear you smiling over the phone. And, <laughs> yeah. and Jasper and Daisy, um, are their lives kind of uh, given back to them as well and all this healing of the family? It takes, you know, people say that this is a family disease uh-huh. and we don't quite get it until we're there. Um, and so I think for brothers and sisters, uh, it's really, it's anybody, it's really hard. But for brothers and sisters, it's hard in a very specific way. Because not only are they, were, were our kids, you know, ter- the other kids terrified and worried about their big brother. And, you know, what was going on? It didn't make any sense. He was this lovely person, you know, played with them all the time. He would read to them, you know, carry them around on his shoulders, literally. Um, and then he was disappearing, and he was sulking, and he was... Mm-hmm. But also, you know, their parents were, you know, out of commitment. You know, we were just devastated. So not only did they lose their brother, but in a way they lost their parents, too, uh, for a while. And so they suffered. And I think it's really important for people to understand that, um, you know, it is... It, it, this is a disease that doesn't just befall one person in a family. It befalls mm-hmm. a family. Um, the good news is that people do heal and forgiveness and is possible and understanding is possible. And Nick made a really strong effort over time to repair his relationships. And I would say now our family is closer than ever. You know, Daisy, my daughter is 17 now and, and you know, she will fly down and spend the weekend. Nick lives in LA. We live up near San Francisco. She'll, she'll fly down and spend oh, great. time with him. And he and Jasper were just, you know, off uh, you know, surfing together so, um, you know, relationships repair, and not only do they repair, but I would say that they can get stronger than ever. Uh-huh. Um, sort of like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and what a family goes through that doesn't explode a family can make a, strong, a, a family stronger, too. We talked uh, a while back, uh, the, and you mentioned evidence-based practices in your book, Clean, and uh, we've been really talking about that right now, how evidence-based practices We've got evidence of how that works with Nick, you know, family education and support, the community being involved, um, stages of change, CBT and motivational interviewing, you know, all the things, managing medication and supportive employment, all these different things are involved um, in Nick's life. And uh, it was really great to hear you smile over the phone when you when you were talking about him. When did you come on the fact that uh, places that use these practices and approaches were successful? 
Um, well, first of all, you know, there was the personal part, which is what, you know, when I finally uh-huh. saw Nick get in the care of, of people who were qualified uh, yeah. and who, you know, you find out now that most pediatricians in America, most uh, general practitioners have never taken even one course in addiction medicine, even psychologists who are dealing with emotional problems every single day. They don't know about addiction. So finally, when we got in the hands of people who really understood this because they were trained in it, um, mm-hmm. did we start to understand, you know, these people know about the treatments, they know about the research. Uh, and then the other component was beyond our personal story when I started talking to other people, and these were other families who'd been affected, and also the researchers and the doctors. And I went to treatment programs, and I sat in on uh, behavioral therapy sessions, and I met, um, you know, the best doctors in the country, uh, and they described to me, you know, the research that's out there and what works. And um, it was, you know, a, a revelation. And yeah. it is an instruction for people who are dealing with this. You know, we want our kids treated, our loved ones treated, ourselves treated, whatever it is, um, with evidence-based practices. Um, the struggle is to find them. And they're, yeah. it's not easy to find, but they are out there and they are, uh, there will be more and more of them as we go forward. Thank you. We're talking with David Sheff, and uh, when we come back, David, I think after the next break, we're going to talk about the Medicine Abuse Project, which you're really, really passionate about. So we'll give you some time to discuss that, and uh, and I have a couple other questions for you. So stay Fantastic. Tuned. Thank you. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. 
helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, and this is John McAndrew, and we've been really lucky be talking with David Chef today, and before we go further, I want to mention uh, David's website again, which is davidchef.com, and that's spelled D-A-V-I-D-S-H-E-F-F, and people can go there, and uh, you can communicate with David and get some, some questions answered, you know, find out where you can find effective uh, evidence-based practices. Also, another website is Westbridges. I want to give that. It's, you know, westbridge.org, and you can do the same there if you have any any questions. And, David, I promise we give you a little bit of time to talk about the Medicine Abuse Project. And uh, before I go there, though, I want to thank you for spending time with us today. And and, uh, I suspect this has not been an easy Thing for you to do, and I would like you to know that you've got a lot of support in how you've honestly approached all this, being a dad and a journalist, and you know, and thank God that you're really good at writing and really good at investigating, because I, I think it is much needed. And you have interviewed John Lennon and on and on and on. So uh, you know, as sort of an amateur interviewer, it's my really a pleasure today to speak with you and. So I want to thank you personally as well. So, oh, John, thank you so much. Yeah, the Medicine Abuse Project. So I think we kind of know where you're coming from, yeah. but well, fill yeah, us the, in on how that gets started. Sure. I mean, the, something that you know, many people don't know is that the, we're talking. We talk a lot about heroin and methamphetamine, and of course, those are drugs that are incredible, incredibly dangerous, and they're big problems. But you know what people don't. No, or many people don't know, is that the number one killer right now I mentioned before is um, prescription drug abuse. Uh, uh-huh. And, uh, you know, there's an organization called um, the Partnership at DrugFree.org, and, and they are on the Internet at DrugFree.org, and they do, you know, so much, you know, sort of amazing work, both working in preventing, giving us tools, parents and others, tools to prevent drug use and to recognize the signs of drug problems and and to intervene and to get involved. Um and they've done this studies, um, and they did a tracking study that showed how um, how often kids, uh, you know, thirteen-year-old, uh, twelve-year-old kids uh, are using prescription drugs. Um, and of course, you know, as they get older, um, that you know, seventy percent of kids, uh, teenagers, they get these drugs from their family members and friends, and you know, right. oftentimes they find them in the medicine cabinets, and um, you know, and and so. You know, there's so much that we can do, and I guess one of the this is what this project is about. It's trying to help us figure this out, and one of them, of course, is to understand that you know these medications are dangerous. They're addictive. Um, methamp- I mean, um, uh, oxycontin, you know, Vicodin, uh, the some of the uh, attention drugs like um, Adderall. Uh, they're all uh, abused uh, by kids, and uh, they you know kids are becoming addicted and and are overdosing every single day. So the first thing we want to do is to 
you know, not to have these drugs available, you know, lock them up, get rid of drugs, you know, when we don't longer need them. People, you know, have a bottle of Vicodin and they end up using two. Uh, my daughter actually was given a bottle of Vicodin after um, she just had, you know, wisdom teeth taken out and she took like oh. a half. And then suddenly there, you know, there are 30 Vicodin sitting in a bottle and, you know, we got rid of them and that's what people need to do. Yep. Um, you know, little things work. You know, talk to talk to our kids about this problem. Uh, one of the things that the partnership, was, um, you know, the tracking study showed was that only 14% of teenagers t- uh, had ever talked about, you know, prescription medication misuse um, with their parents. So, you know, we need to talk to our kids. Um, we have to, um, you know, ad- address this proactively. Um, and, you know, people think there's this sort of misconception People think that, well, this is, these aren't street drugs. You know, they've got to be safer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. Well, you know, they, they aren't. They're, they're, you know, these opiates are, you know, they're, they're related, you know, completely related to heroin, you know, a, a drug like Oxycontin. Um, and uh, oftentimes kids are using drugs like that, and they start with it because, of, you know, at a party someone hands them a pill or a friend at school, Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, you know, they like it, so they want more, and they buy them, and uh, and they can become very expensive, or they can become hard to find, and suddenly they learn um, that, you know, you can get the same kind or a similar high from heroin, and so a lot of kids, um, it happens not only to kids, of course, but it happens so often and so tragically to young people, um, they start with prescription medication, and then they are using heroin, and sometimes both. Um, they mix other drugs, Xanax. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of kids using Xanax and uh, in combination with some other drugs. Um, alcohol in combination, there's been a lot of talk about the very tragic death of the TV star, uh, Corey um, Monteith, and yeah. he died of an overdose of um, heroin and, and alcohol, uh, which together is even more dangerous than either yeah. of them separately. Yeah. So, um, you know, we want to be informed. We want to talk to our kids. Uh, there is a project on uh, that's that's you know the partnership is doing this project um, called you know where we can go online and we can um, take a pledge uh, as parents and it's a pledge about ending teenage medicine abuse um, that one's at uh, www.medicineabuseproject.org um, so I encourage everyone to get on their pledge uh-huh. to learn more about drug abuse to safeguard you know medicine uh, cabinets and medicine and talk with our kids um, and we can, you know, we think that, you know, people think, oh, drugs are out there. Parents think, you know, their kids are, there's not much we can do. Um, the influences are out there, peer pressure and all this kind of stuff, but it's just not true. All the research, going back to this idea of evidence-based practices, you know, the research shows that we can make a difference. And David, you mentioned in the book, you know, how does the media play into this? Because I know I love to watch sports and um you know, the biggest drug that sponsors most of the sports in our country is alcohol, and I'm, I'm assuming that you agree it's alcohol and other drugs, you know. Yeah, alcohol is yeah. absolutely one of the drugs that people But they also use. kind of got this thought into kids that maybe this uh, Adderall will help you study better. And uh, It's tricky when we come to prescription medication because not only do we have, as a culture, and certainly our kids also you know, share it, that prescription medications are safer because they are, you know, doctors prescribe them. But it's even trickier than that because sometimes prescription medications actually are necessary. They help people. Yes. Um, Adderall and Ritalin, if they're um, 
uh, if they're prescribed by a doctor who knows what he or she is doing and monitors the child or other person who is on these medications, um, you know, adjust dosage, you know, there's therapy that's ongoing so that um, there's somebody watching, um, they can be, you know, they can turn a person's life around. Um, opiates are incredibly dangerous, but also certain people, you know, they, they, they're, they're used by doctors and in hospitals for a reason. Um, they're one of the only or the most effective uh, pain medications. Um, it, one of the good things that's come out of these conversations is that there's a lot of focus now on other ways to manage pain that include everything from, uh, yeah. you know, meditation and, um, and, and other sort of relaxation to, to other kinds of medications. But, um, but sometimes these things, you know, are, are needed. And the, the, the difference is that, you know, we have to be working with a doctor very, very closely to yeah. make sure these medications are being used in a therapeutic way and they're not being abused and they're not leading to a drug problem, to addiction. Um, which David, I, we want to thank you so much. Uh, you know, and the message we get is uh, talk to people when you send your kids to treatment that understand the evidence-based practices. When you talk to doctors, make sure they understand addiction. And we, you know, we at Westbridge want to thank you very much. We've been excited to have you on. And uh, I hope we can do this again someday to keep raising awareness. And, uh, you know, I pray that you keep writing and keep your eyes open for all the rest of us. And uh, thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you, John, for having me on and for doing this you know, really important work, educating people. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.